Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast. I'm Joe Castellano. Today's guest is somebody that I met a long time ago when he was doing the Angels as a radio play-by-play announcer. Mario Impemba spent 25 years in the major leagues, not only with the Angels, but with the Tigers for 17 seasons as their television play-by-play announcer and spent a short time recently with the Boston Red Sox and has 33 years of experience overall in pro baseball. And he recently wrote a book called Major League Mindset, which is designed to help young baseball broadcasters improve their skills. So we're going to talk about the book and his website, baseballbroadcasting.com. Here's the conversation I had on Wednesday with Mario Impemba. Well, Mario, thanks so much for joining me here on the Sports Virus Podcast. And I, I know that you're going to be watching the Peach Bowl. You're a big Michigan State guy. So, I mean, this is a great time of year for college football. I hope you enjoy that. Yeah, it should be fun, Joe. It's uh, Although it's probably less of a marquee matchup than we anticipated with uh, Pickens, the QB from Pittsburgh, out. And Kenneth Walker, the one of the best running backs from Michigan State, not playing. That's the landscape in college football these days. If, if you got a chance to go pro, then you sit out the bowl games. Unfortunately, that's what's happening here. But we'll have fun nonetheless. So, I mean, these days, if you want to read any baseball news, and you're a baseball guy, and we're going to talk all about that, uh, there's really no baseball news because there's a lockout. Uh, how disappointing is that for you or just anybody who follows baseball to see that there's another lockout uh you know we kind of saw it coming i guess yeah i think we all saw it coming joe and certainly i did you know i kind of lived through the one back in 94 uh i got my first big league broadcasting job in 95 with the angels and that was coming off the 94 strike so um that kind of bled over into the 95 season and shortened it a bit and spring training was a mess and you know the two sides hated each other players and owners and i see a little bit of that uh, this time, but I don't think it's going to be a serious. Uh, you know, I think that people understand on both sides that you really have to uh, forward the game, and you know, by doing by doing this, it's not helping forward the game. So, you know, obviously the the owners want to make sure that um, free agency and arbitration numbers stay in place, and the owners or the players rather want to shorten them. And I think that's really the crux of the issue right now. And I think they'll get together. Uh, before spring training, get this thing going. There's just way too much at stake, I think, to to mess with it. All right, so you are now retired after a 25-year broadcasting career in the major leagues, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, And now you've got a book out. So tell us about Major League Mindset, which is designed to help young baseball broadcasters improve their skills. Uh, What led to writing this book? Well, Joe, like most of us, I was sitting around during COVID twiddling my thumbs on my couch, and there's only so many reruns of Judge Judy that you can watch, so I decided <laughs> to write a book, I suppose. But, no, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. I think that, you know, when I was coming up, there really wasn't anything like this uh, in the 80s when I was doing minor league baseball and when I was in college, and I kind of had to feel my way through and, and really had to lean on the people that were in the business at the time for some advice and, and kind of direction on which way to go in my career. And so I decided, you know, a lot of young announcers have contacted me through the years wanting to listen to their tapes and get critiques and maybe help them realize, you know, which way they need to go in their careers. And I thought, well, let me put it down on paper. And so 
you know, 50,000 words later here, you know, here it is. And, and uh, so it was fun. It was a blast. I think that, you know, young announcers can get some use out of it um, to kind of draw experiences that I've had. There are so many guys in the big leagues right now that can do this uh, for the young guys. And I wish they would. I wish more of them would. Um, so this is just kind of my way of, of giving back to, uh, to college students and high school students guys and good gals that are toiling in the minor leagues right now to try and get to the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like you said, when you're in the minor leagues and uh, you don't really know what direction to go as far as your style and how you want to approach all of it, uh, you really do need a mentor in a way. Did you have a mentor when you first started out? Well, you know, in a weird kind of way, it was Ernie Harwell, the Hall of Fame announcer for the Tigers. I would contact him several times and and the one thing that i remembered was here's a guy that's going to be in the hall of fame and i'm thinking wow he's taking the time to return my letters return my calls and uh so that kind of that stood out for me and and i told myself at that point that you know if i ever had a chance to broadcast in the major leagues i wanted to do anything i could to help young people coming up in the business and and so he really had uh, a profound effect on me and how to treat people, and, and I actually had a, a season to work with Ernie. My first year in Detroit was his last year doing uh, Tigers radio. I was doing television at the time, but still I was able to learn a lot from him. I actually did a couple of games on Detroit uh, television with him when he would fill in a few times, and man, he's just, uh, you know, you learn so much just about being around a guy like that, and you know, you learn so much from being around guys that have been in the big leagues a long time. Bill King uh, was was a guy that I really learned a lot from, but I really didn't know him all that well because we were on opposite sides of the country. Uh, but you get to know these guys, and, and one of the things that I try and put in the book and, and, and make people realize is that you've got to learn from others. You've got to learn from people that have been there and done that, and that's what I kind of tried to do throughout my career, and that's what I'm trying to do now for, for the young announcers coming up. Well, that's really interesting about Bill King because uh, most people who didn't live on the West Coast didn't know a lot about Bill King. I mean, to me, he was one of the best broadcasters of sports that we've ever heard. Uh, I mean, he was just a brilliant radio announcer. So how did that come to fruition that you got to know more about him? Well, I got to know more about him when I first got to the major leagues, and that was 1995. And In spring training, I was introduced to Bill, and, and uh, he was just so nice and so accommodating to me. And and the one thing that I learned from Bill is that you, you never can be too well-read. I mean, he was the most well-read person I had ever been around. I mean, there wasn't really a conversation that he couldn't fit into, <laughs> and that really impressed me. I mean, it, it left a mark on me, and I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm nowhere near this guy's level, but I can improve and maybe strive to to learn some things and 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 be more well-read and and uh, you know, kind of bone up that way. But uh, the one thing that really stood out to me was how he treated me. Here I was, a young kid. I was in my early 30s, and Bill had been in the big leagues a long, long time and had done multiple sports at a very high level, as we know. And uh, he just took the time to be nice to me and to help me out. And, and like I said, I think more guys should should do that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, mean, I had Gary Cohen do that with me, the Mets 
radio announcer. And I always considered Gary to be one of the best broadcasters out there on the radio. And then he switches over to television. And you did the same thing. I mean, you were doing an incredible job as a radio announcer with the Angels. And then you go over to television with the Tigers. Tell us a little bit about the difference there, how you made that adjustment, and uh, what might be in the book about announcers who want to be a television announcer. But, of course, there's the radio part. Yeah, you know, I really didn't think I'd get that TV gig in Detroit. I mean, I'd done seven years for the Angels on radio, and, and I kind of cut my teeth in radio. I did eight years in the minor leagues. I really had very little television experience. And when the shop opened up in Detroit, uh, Josh Lewin had gone to Texas at the time. And so I thought, well, you know, let me throw my hat in the ring. I'm not going to get this job. But I did. And then when I got to Detroit, broadcasting in front of friends and family, you know, it took on a whole new level for me. Not only that, but now I'm doing TV. And I really had to kind of learn on the job. I had done maybe 10 games or so for the Eagles filling in on TV. So I had a bit of a grasp of the medium and, and how to act on television and the big differences on between TV and radio. But the one thing I really had to learn quickly, which I struggled with, was being overly descriptive. You know, I, from radio, you have to describe every little thing you see Yet when you get to television, it's more of, you know, captioning the pictures more than anything else and yeah. and being a traffic cop and involving your analysts. And so those were the big differences that I really had to learn. And it really, Joe, didn't, it took me a while. I, mean, I didn't really feel comfortable until I was probably done with my very first year in Detroit. So it took me, uh, you know, a full season to get used to that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some people in baseball broadcasting would rather do radio because, you know, you're in control of everything. I remember Bill King told me that. He said that he never wanted to do television because he felt like he wouldn't be in control. But there are other aspects of uh, television baseball broadcasting that really are attractive. There are. I mean, it's, it's more of a storytelling medium. And I, I just wrote a blog about this on my on my uh, blog at baseball broadcasting.com. And, and I basically said, look, I mean, what is a promotion of promotion? My entire career, people were telling me, you've got to get to television. That's where the money is. That's where the fame is. That's where you want to be. But in reality, I found that baseball broadcasting is really better on radio. I mean, that's, that's the crux of, of baseball broadcasting. We do it on radio. So, you know, I found that. And I found it to be important that when I went back to radio with the Red Sox in 2019, I really missed how much I enjoyed, as you mentioned, kind of being in control of the broadcast. You know, it doesn't happen until I say it happens. Where on television, you're pretty much reactionary. If, if the producer wants to go take a shot at the bullpen, you've got to talk off the bullpen. If the producer wants to take a shot of the dugout, you've got to talk off the manager or the players. Or You know, you, you really don't have that control that you do in radio. And that's one of the big differences. And that's one of the big things that I missed when I did TV, but loved when I did radio. Yeah. I was reading your blogs and uh, I found several of them to be fascinating. Uh, one had the three simple steps to becoming a better broadcaster. And it was talking about reviewing your work, identifying your weaknesses and listening to your peers. So how much did you follow those uh, when you were a minor league broadcaster or even when you got to the big leagues? Well, I, you know, it took me a while to, to realize that, you know, those were some of the things that I really had to do if I wanted to be successful um, at the major league level, let alone the minor league level. But, you know, as I came up in the minor leagues, 
I decided that, you know, one of the best ways to improve was to listen to my tapes. And sometimes, man, oh, man, I did not want to do it <laughs> because I knew I had a terrible broadcast. But you learn that when you go back and listen to it uh, with a clear ear, it's much different than you think when you're actually broadcasting the game. In other words, when you're broadcasting the game, you're so focused on delivering the product that you don't really pay attention to the technical aspects of broadcasting. So when you go back and listen to it, when you're separated from the game itself, when you're separated from being in the moment, you can really glean a lot of things about yourself and a lot of things about the broadcast. And I learned that was very important. And I also learned that, you know, you kind of have to put your ego aside. There were a lot of guys in the minor leagues that I broadcast with that were better than me that I felt. And I didn't want to admit it. But then after a while, I realized, well, why not try and learn from these guys? And certainly when I got to the big leagues, you know, as a rookie announcer, you know, everybody, it seemed, was better than me. And so I would listen to Scully, and I would listen to King, and I would listen to Harwell, and I would listen to Buck, and all these guys around the league, Harry Callis. And I would try and pick out things that I liked about what they did and incorporate those philosophies in my broadcast. But if you don't want to do that and you feel you've got it all figured out, then you can't really reach your potential. And so I think it's really important to do those things. Yeah, and you talked in another blog about how you have to keep learning. And I think as you're learning and you're developing your own style, it's so important to have your own style and voice uh, because you know even though you're incorporating different aspects of those announcers, you still have to make sure that you're not trying to sound like them because you know how many announcers tr have tried to sound like Vince Scully and it, it really doesn't work. So I, I think there's a fine line there, right? Yeah, you know, you mentioned Vin. I remember one of the first uh, interviews I had done for a big league job was with the Tigers before I got the job in Detroit. This was when I was in the minor leagues in Tucson. And I remember, and I tell the story in the book, but I remember sitting down with the director of broadcasting for the Tigers, and he pulls out this big old box of tapes, and he <laughs> pops one in the cassette recorder. You can tell how old I am. We're talking about cassette recorders. <laughs> but he pops one in and says, here, I want you to listen to this guy and tell me what you think of him. And it made me really uncomfortable because here I am interviewing for a major league job, and he's asking me to critique someone else that, I'm going against for this job. And so he pops the tape in, and the first thing I heard was a Vin Scully imitator. And I said, well, I said, you know, technically he's pretty good, but he just sounds like Vin Scully. And he said, bingo, we don't want the next Vin Scully. We want the next Tigers announcer. And so I think he was trying to make a point that maybe I sounded too much like Harwell. I was using too many of his mannerisms, too many of his sayings. Uh, and so I kind of got the point. I didn't get the job, but I got the point. And then years later, I ended up being uh, hired by the Tigers. Uh, and it was, you know, it was all golden from there. But yeah, you learn those things along the way. You've got to be yourself. You've got to find your voice. You've got to find your style. And the only way to do that is to do games. Um, you know, when I was in the minor leagues, I, I did eight seasons, which for me was an eternity. But for many people, it's not. It's a very short amount of time. But in those eight years, I was able to do a bunch of games and kind of figure out who I was and what I wanted to be. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing I loved about listening to you right off the bat when I first heard you when you were with the Angels was that you had your own voice. You didn't uh, put on some kind of a phony voice. You were authentic. I I think that's a big part of it. And you even said in one of your blogs you were talking about not having a condescending attitude towards the listeners, which you hear from time to time, and you certainly did not have that. I mean, you you know, you're trying to sort of teach the audience that are not experts, but you don't want to be talking down to them. No, you don't, and and that's critical. I think you know one of the best things that ever happened to me, Joe, was working with Bob Starr as my first uh, big league partner. Bob had been in the big leagues a, a million years, it seemed. He'd done the Angels, done the Red Sox. He, he was a terrific football announcer. Cast the Rams in Southern California, and you know I was in my early thirties, and Bob was in his sixties. So there was really kind of a generational gap there. But Bob never really made me feel like I didn't belong. And the one thing I kind of noticed about Bob is, as we went along in that, that first major league season for me was he never really over-explained things to make himself look smart. Mm-hmm. You know, he always talked to people, not above them or below them. And I thought that was really impressive for a guy that had as much knowledge and as much talent as Bob had. He understood that, you know, the fabric of baseball is the fan. And, you know, if you want to be successful in this business, you've got to be able to speak to the fan and be one of them. Don't, you know, don't try and come off as a GM. Don't try and come off as someone that you're not, but just be like an everyday guy and, and call the games and people will like you. And and I kind of followed that mantra and, and it worked for me. Yeah. I mean, I love the everyday guy type of thing, but you know, some announcers feel like they have to, have a certain way that they sound. They have to have a home run call. You even addressed that in a blog. And I thought that was interesting because for a while there, when I was in AAA, I thought, you know, I've got to have a home run call because I'm never going to get to the major league. So I tried it. I tried goodbye, baby. And it just didn't work. It was just like, what am I doing? And then I went back to just calling it and not really scripting it. And and you were talking about that. And I I think you came to that conclusion. I did. I, you know, I was with the Angels had been there like three years, I believe, and we had just hired a new broadcasting manager, and he called me in, and we had lunch, and he said, look, I just want to introduce myself and maybe talk about the broadcast a little bit, and I said, cool, let's have lunch, and so we did, and, you know, he said, hey, everything sounds great, but, you know, you're a young guy in the league, and I think the one thing you need right now that you don't have is a home run call. You've got to have that signature phrase that you, you know, that you yell after every home run, and I thought, <laughs> well... I want to be coachable here, and and I want to listen to the guy and show him that I'm willing to work with him, but this is not me. And the one reason I never had a home run call is because every single home run is different. You know, some go 500 feet, some go off the outfielder's glove and climb over the wall. You can't, in my mind, attach a saying to every home run because they're all different. And I know some announcers made it work, Harry made it work, and John Sterling and in New York has made it work, but I, that just wasn't me. So I decided, all right, let, let me try and come up with something. And I came up with some ridiculous phrases that I don't even remember. <laughs> and I, I, I just try and block them out because they were just so ridiculous. And I remember Bob Starr, my partner, my partner looking at me one day saying, where did that one come from? And I, I had even forgotten what I had said. And I said, well, they're trying to, forced me into a home run call and he goes young partner listen to me you do what you do and don't let anybody change what you do and so i i just went to our broadcasting manager a few days later said look this is not working it's not me it may be some people 
but it's not me. And he realized that and said, yeah, let's just go back to the way it was. And so that's what I did. And, uh, you know, I never had that big, uh, big home run call that you hear, you know, a lot of guys use, but that was okay with me. And it, it fit my personality not to have one. And to me, that was more important. Another aspect of baseball broadcasting that you address in uh, one of the blogs that I really think hits home for a lot of minor league announcers is having a slump <laughs> because, uh, you know, you, you're trying to be perfect, which really you probably shouldn't be trying to be perfect. But, you know, you might listen to your work. You didn't like what you heard. And things are just not flowing for you in a certain broadcast. And as you said, you're having a slump. I never thought of it that way. Sort of like a player having a slump. How do you get out of something like that? You get out of it by just erasing what happened last night and moving on. You know, I I talked in that blog about leaving Fenway Park one night and nothing went right. I mean, I misidentified players. I blew a home (laughs) run call. I mean, you name it, I did it that night. But the problem was I had done it like five or six nights in a row. (laughs) And it came to a head that one night in my mind as I'm walking out of the ballpark like, I'm going to lose my job if, if this continues. And in the end, I had overblown that in my mind. All the mistakes really weren't as big as I thought they were. But when you chase perfection, that's what happens. You know, I had a, an interesting uh, conversation with Kirk Gibson. We were doing the game one night in Detroit. He was my analyst. And we were talking before the game. And I don't know how the, the, the conversation came up, but we talked about perfection and chasing perfection. And I told Gibby, I said, Kirk, you can't, you can't do that in broadcasting because you will never, ever achieve perfection. Ask Vince Scully if he's had a perfect broadcast. I'll bet you he tells you no. And you can ask anybody that that's been in the business, and they'll probably tell you, no, I've never had a perfect broadcast. He said, if you chase perfection, you're kind of raising the bar each time. And I said, yeah, that's true, but you're also frustrating yourself when you don't reach perfection. And so the best thing to do is just try and aim for consistency. And that's what I did. And, uh, and I tried to be as consistent every night. And, but I came to a point that one night at Fenway where I said, you know what, screw it. I just, I, whatever. I'm coming back the next day. I'm forgetting about everything, and I'm just going to call the game. Whatever happens, happens. And I had one of my better broadcasts because I just kind of let go of the night before. And if you look at it that way, as, as much of a cliche as it sounds, you really do take it one game at a time. I mean, it's a cliche in sports, but if you don't live by it, you'll never make it because there are too many games. And players know this, that if you go for 4, you can't hang out to that 0 for 4 or it'll be a 1 for 32, eventually. So the same applies in broadcasting. If you screw up, you screw up. Just move on. And once I realized I could move on, that's when I kind of freed myself. Man, I just screwed up again. Well, you know what? It happens. Move on. Well, that, that's the biggest uh, aspect of baseball. That's you know the largest challenge, I think. Uh, and you talk about embracing the grind because it really is a grind. I mean, you're going to have baseball games almost every day, hours long. Uh, that's the difference between baseball and the other sports that really makes it a challenge. It is, and if you don't embrace it, you'll never make it. Um, you know, when I was with the Tigers, Nick Castellanos used to walk around the clubhouse and say, let's go, guys, embrace the grind. Let's go. <laughs> you know, in September, you're playing the Royals for the 19th time, and you're out of the pennant race. And if you don't embrace it, then you might as well go home. And, you know, I kind of realized that early on in my career. When I was doing uh, minor league baseball, I had just completed my first game in the minor leagues, and I thought I put the headsets down and, 
it was like a four hour game with three rain delays in the middle of it. You know, six hours after I went on the air, I was <laughs> off the air. I put my headset down and I thought, Oh my God, I've got 141 more of these to go. How am I going to do it? <laughs> you know, and I thought, let me just kill myself now or, or resign one of the two. And, um, so I came back the next day and did the game and it was a little bit better. And I came back the next day and I realized before I knew it, September was here and, uh, you know, you, you find a way to get through it, but you really do have to embrace the fact that baseball is unlike any other sport. You know, I have arguments all the time with NHL guys and NBA guys and they say, no, our sport is tougher because you're in a city and you leave the city. Then you're in the city and then you leave the city. It's a lot more travel. And I'm saying, look, dude, I just called 162 games, 30 more in spring training, and we're going to the postseason. Tell me about being tired. You know? So it's, it, it, it's you know, we, we did it in jest, and we were kidding with each other, but they, they both present their, their challenges, but there is no sport that presents a challenge like doing 162 games in 180-some days. It, it's just it's, it's mind-boggling to think that you can do it until you actually get through it. And then once you get to the end of the season, you feel the sense of accomplishment, like, wow, I actually made it. And, uh, again, the only way to do it is just say, bring it on, you know, kind of embrace it and take it game by game and just keep going. Let's go back to the beginning, like when you were first interested in baseball as a sport and baseball broadcasting. You know, eventually you got your first minor league job in Peoria in 1987. But tell me what led to that and just your fondest memory of just the, the beginning of the Marion Pemba baseball broadcasting career. Uh, a lot of luck, to be honest with you. I went to college. Uh, my college roommate was uh, a fellow by the name of Matt McConnell, who has been a long-time announcer in the NHL, currently uh, in, in Arizona with the Coyotes. Um, he was my college roommate, and he was always into hockey. He did a lot of hockey games in Michigan State. I did basketball and baseball. And actually, I wanted to be a basketball announcer. I, I really enjoyed college basketball. I wanted to get to the NBA and, and do that. But Matt was Peoria doing minor league hockey um, for the Peoria Rivermen. And he said, hey, the, the Peoria Chiefs, the Class A affiliate of the Cubs, has an opening. Why don't you come down here and, you know, I'll put in a good word for you and, you know, meet the owner. Maybe we can get an interview and, you know, you can get into baseball. I'm like, cool. I was out of a job. I had done a year in in a small town in Texas as a sports director, just doing play-by-play for high stuff, and that wasn't for me. So I had left, so I was unemployed. And he told the the owner of the Chiefs about me. Yeah, bring the guy down. Let's let's interview. And I'm like, great. So I interviewed and I got the job. And I really owed it all to Matt because had Matt not tipped me off and put in a good word for me. I probably don't get that first job in Peoria. And that first job for me was really kind of a springboard because I then took the baseball path and then went on to another team in the league and then went on to triple F and then on to the big leagues. But, um, I got, I got fortunate because Matt was, uh, was there with me and, um, he helped me get the job and that kind of set me on my way. And interestingly enough, Matt eventually went on to be the first voice of the Anaheim Ducks. And the Anaheim Angels, or California Angels at that time, had an opening. I interviewed them and got that job. So Matt was kind of my good luck charm throughout my career. and um, I kind of used that to my advantage. But that's how I broke into baseball. 
when you first got the Angels job and you first walked into that booth, <laughs> what, what was it like? I mean, what, what was sort of your uh, expectation for that, not only the first game, but, you know, really that first season as an announcer? Was this before or after I peed my pants? Because that's, <laughs> that's, what, I, that's what I did. Um, you, know, you know, I had four years in AAA, and, and I thought to myself, look, I've, I've got eight years in the minor leagues. So I'm ready for big league job and i i interviewed for the angels job and i get it and then the realization hits like oh my god i'm going to la i mean it's it's anaheim but it's still the la market and you walk into the big a you know and we're doing big league baseball now and i remember walking in for my first big league game you know we had done spring training but those are done in minor league parks so when I walk into Big A, we're playing the Tigers, ironically, my first major league game. <laughs> and I walk in the booth of the Big A, and I just felt like overwhelmed. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. I really don't. I, mean, I felt really nervous. There's one thing about doing minor league baseball in minor league parks in front of, you know, two, 3,000 fans a night. And then stepping into a major league park with 40,000 people in there. And it's like the Angels and Tigers and and you know, you're in this big expansive stadium and you're like, holy smokes. It really became a little overwhelming. And I remember um, the general manager of the team at that time sent me up a a present for being this being my first major league broadcast. I opened it up and it was this really gorgeous, expensive briefcase that he <laughs> gave to me as a present to welcome nice. me to the team. and. Yeah, it was really cool, and I I thought you know what I'm I'm really going to uh, I'm really going to kind of settle down here and settle in, and I did. We did, you know, did our first pregame show. I did my first interview. I did my first three inning stint, and after that, you know, my feet were on the ground and I felt a lot more com- comfortable. But it was uh, it was overwhelming at first, and and you know you can do it in the back of your mind. But there's always that little piece of you that says, maybe I was just a minor league announcer, not a big league announcer. Now I got to prove myself all over again to a fan base that has no idea who I am. <laughs> and that was hard. I mean, it, you know, nobody, it's not like I was a former player with a name that people could identify with. You know, I was just some dude from the Midwest. And, <laughs> you know, let's see what you got. And so I just kind of settled in and, and did my job. Well, eventually you get your dream job with the Detroit Tigers. And, you know, not a lot of people get to work for the team that they grew up rooting for. So similar type question, uh, when you got there, did you think it was going to last 17 seasons? And, uh, you know, at first, when you first got back to Detroit, uh, did you have to pinch yourself a little bit? Yeah, I did. I don't know how long it was going to last. I had no idea how long it was going to last. Um you know, there was a bit of an unknown because I was doing television as opposed to radio. Yeah. And so I didn't know if I was going to be able to kind of stick in TV, you know, in Detroit or anywhere else. So I thought, I'm going home. My friends and family are there. It's my dream job. It was my high school. It was my, you know, favorite team in high school and as a kid. And so let's, this is great. I mean, this is like a dream come true. And then I got there my first year, and the year I left the Angels, they win the World Series, and we go on to lose 119 games a couple of years later, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world did I do? Um, yeah, I'm sitting on my couch in Detroit watching, uh, watching the Angels beat the Giants in the World Series, and I'm thinking, holy cow. 
you know, I just missed out on a World, <laughs> World Series, and our team stinks here in Detroit. And But, you know, a couple of years later, we're in the World Series in 06, went back to the World Series in 2012, and uh, had a pretty good run of a, a really good stretch of baseball in Detroit that I was able to have a you know a front row seat for and became kind of the voice of. And, and so that kind of made up for it. But, uh, yeah, it was... It was a bit of an unknown when I got there how long I would I would really be able to last. Yeah, I mean, there were great players, you know, like Miggy and uh, Verlander and even going back Pudge Rodriguez and guys like that. And then Jim Leland as a manager there. Uh, what kind of experience did you have being the broadcaster and being around him every day? Best manager I've ever been around, period. And I've been around some good ones. I mean, we had Mike Sosha with the Angels. Joe Madden was with the Angels at the time. Um, you know, so I've been around some guys that, that really were winners at the major league level, but Le- there's something different about Leland, man. He's just, he, you're just able to connect with him. And I did so early when he, when he arrived, um, I was able to connect with him very quickly. And he's one of those guys that, you know, if you see in the hotel or you see at a restaurant on the road, you don't talk baseball with him. You talk, you know, family, you talk life, you talk about your kids. And, you know, I still stay in touch with him uh, to uh, to this day, and, and I enjoy his friendship. And a really good guy. He's got this gruff exterior. He's blown up on the media, and that's what people see and think that he's just a nasty dude. But he's not, man. He's a, he's a really good guy, a really caring individual, and uh, one of the best baseball minds that I'd been around. I mean, I would sit in his pregame press meetings and, and I would sit there and go, well, I never knew that about the game. Well, I learned <laughs> that today. You know, I mean, there's always something new that he was teaching you that you thought you had known already, but you don't. I mean, he's really good baseball mind. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be around somebody who loves the game that much and knows that much about it. Uh, you know, of course, it was, it was very, very unfortunate the way your tenure in Detroit ended in September of 2018. In Chicago, you had that altercation with your partner, Rod Allen. How did you move on from that, Mario? Um, you know, I moved on pretty quickly. I, I think, Joe, that you know, COVID has something to do with that. I, I really wanted to get back in baseball for 2019 because the whole incident um, – Really was was one was unfortunate, but I feel was the the true story never was really told. I was assaulted in the booth, and somehow it got into a uh, a story where we had a fight. Now there was no fight. I mean, there was an assault, but there was no fight. And so I thought I was in pretty good shape to continue my career in Detroit, but it didn't work out that way for whatever reason and for reasons I I just I, I don't know. Uh, they decided that we both had to go. So. Here I am in 2019, and I'm thinking I've got to get back in the game to prove, you know, that I can that I can work with people and and that this whole thing was not my fault. And the Red Sox had an opening, and uh, I submitted a tape, and they called me and said, "Well, hey, look, we don't know what we want to do yet for the following year, but for this year, we want to rotate some guys in. Would you be interested in rotating in?" I said, "Absolutely." So I did about. 50, 60 games for the Red Sox in 2019 and kind of clean the slate for my career to kind of get back in the game and prove that I was still employable and, and that somebody wanted me to do their games. And after the 2019 season, uh, we parted ways because they decided to go with um, uh, Will Fleming, who was their AAA guy and a tremendous announcer. Uh, great guy, paid his dues in the minor leagues. And I'm like, okay, great. Good for Will. He's going to get his opportunity, and he certainly deserved it. 
And so let's look for the new opportunity. And then COVID hit, and baseball was pretty much shut down in 2020, or at least you know announcing jobs where nobody was hiring. So uh, that's when I started, you know, writing the book and started enjoying my family a little bit more. And I thought, you know, I've done 33 years of this uh, at every level. Maybe it's time to just kind of move on to other things. And and that's why I've kind of shifted into writing. So would you possibly get back into baseball broadcasting or is this it? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think this is it, but I would never say no. I mean, if, if somebody were come calling, I would listen, but you know, it, it, it's the old adage. Once you're out of the business, it's kind of tough to get back in. And so I've been out for a couple of years now and I'm not really actively looking to get back in. And, but I've seen weirder things happen. You know, I've, I've definitely seen stranger things happen in this business, and I would never say no. Um, but I'm, I'm content doing what I'm doing now and hanging out with the family and, and kind of enjoying life. I mean, you know, when you spend 33 years of your life on the road, you never have a summer. You never have a, a Fourth of July party. You know, you're always away from family. You miss baseball games. You miss, you know, uh, band concerts. You miss everything your kids do. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of think, well, now it's time for payback. Let's start enjoying kids. And um, even though they're grown, you can still enjoy your family. And, and, you know, that's kind of what I've chosen to do. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's definitely a certain satisfaction, I would think, in being able to land on your feet, like you said. Uh, because I, when I first heard about the Tigers situation, it kind of tore my heart out knowing you. I mean, you, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time and uh you know i know that was your dream job and you, you you never want that to end you don't but you understand that life is not fair sometimes and you know it was a good moment for me to teach my kids that you know what <laughs> two things here look out for yourself because nobody else will and two bad things happen in life and sometimes you can't control them so just move on accept them and you know do the best you can and so it was kind of a weird way, kind of a, a good uh, learning experience for all of us. So the book is out, Major League Mindset. I mean, it's going to be a great resource for minor league broadcasters or even major league announcers to kind of see what you have in store there. And baseballbroadcasting.com, uh, you're doing a great job on those blogs. Are you going to keep uh, writing blogs, what, every week? Or how, how is that working with the website? Well, I'm going to try and do it as much as I can. I put up a new one today. I kind of put up a... a, a Kind of a funny one, a lighthearted one. The best big league booths, my top five big league booths, and why <laughs> I enjoy broadcasting those booths. But yeah, I'm I'm going to focus on things that can help young announcers, uh, things that maybe people don't think about. You know, you brought up the the slump in the booth, and and that's something that happens to every announcer, but nobody wants to talk about it. So, you know, I'm going to approach subjects like that and and kind of make it uh, as interesting as I can. And I'll do as many a week as I can, and we'll see where this takes us. What you really should have done, Mario, was worst baseball broadcasting booth, which had to be in the minor league somewhere before they did all these great stadiums. They built all these wonderful uh, facilities. Uh, I know for me, there was one in Auburn in the New York Penn League where we were broadcasting from the third base side. That would have to be up there. I'm sure you had a couple that you didn't like so much. Well, I had one in Burlington, Iowa. I don't want to pick on the fine people of Burlington, Iowa, but they're they're – their uh, stadium, stadium, their ballpark, well, their field, it, it wasn't even, yeah, it was a field. It's so bad that one day on opening day, we opened up and I was with Quad City at the time, and our leadoff guy hits the ball to the gap. 
And so this this is looking like it might be an inside the park home run. I mean, it's first play of the game, first you know batter of the season. Dude comes flying around third base and just goes flying in the air and takes a header and you know and, and lawn darts right into the third. And I'm like, what in the world? And so play is stopped. The umpires come on the third base line. And play was delayed for 30 minutes while the ground screw came out and dug out a big piece of jagged cement that was sticking up on the third base line. And nobody had seen it except for Reggie Williams, who was our leadoff guy. They didn't want to gap and ended up face first between home and third and eventually was tagged out. So, uh, yeah, I've seen it all. But they're, uh, they're, you know, back in the 80s especially, uh, Joe, you would know, back in the 80s and 90s, the minor league ballparks were nothing like they are now. I mean, they were literally high school fields that uh, were converted and uh, not very good. But you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's, it gives you great stories. <laughs> yes, that story alone makes uh, minor league baseball great. Uh, and, you know, broadcasters should definitely give it a try if you're trying to get to the major leagues. It's a really good avenue to, to get there. Uh, Mario, thank you so much for the time. Have a great time there in uh, Florida watching the Orange Bowl. Good luck with the book. I know it's going to be successful and I hope to see you soon. Joe, be well, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. That's Mario Pemba, who spent 33 years as a professional baseball announcer. Next week, we're going to talk to Paul Verkamen from CNN. He is a huge sports fan, so I look forward to talking to Paul, uh, who I went to USC with, and he's been with CNN for a very long time as a reporter. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening to the Sports Virus Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.